back. Pulls up for three. Boom! Knocks it down. Curry from the corner at three. Puts it in. For overtime. Makes it. Garrett. A very warm welcome as always from me, Mark Woods, to the MVP cast brought to you in association with our good chums at Total Environmental Compliance. Check out their consultancy services for a whole range of environmental issues at tecompliance.co.uk. Now, if you like the podcast and you're not a regular subscriber, firstly, why not? So if you're on your favourite podcast provider, then hit that subscribe button and then you won't miss a single episode. And if you want our regular new newsletter, The Post Up, which has got lots of great content, exclusive content on a regular basis, head to our website at mvp247.com and sign up. Now, our guest is the man responsible for the very excellent TV coverage of the BBL and WBBL this season on Sky Sports, which has created, if you'll pardon the pun, somewhat of a buzz around the league. Scott Melvin. Welcome to the MVP cast. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm very well, thank, thank you. you. Um, you're the chief executive of Buzz 16 Productions, which delivers the, the media coverage of, of the BBL to, to Sky Sports. I mean, this is, of course, not your first rodeo in, in the world of, of TV sports. So uh, for the listeners, give us a, a, a brief history of time from your uh, broadcast career. So before Buzz 16, I was at Sky Sports for the best part of 20 years. Um, I joined Sky in 2001 um, and spent a year working on tennis, actually. I was on the, on the tennis team, worked on a couple of US Opens, uh, and then joined football, I think it was the year of Arsenal's Invincibles, which was quite, a, um, quite an introduction to the, to the football production. Um, and the last sort of nine years of, of my time on, at Sky was as the senior producer of the Premier League, so overseeing all the Premier League output on Sky, which, um, mostly because of the, the football itself. We went through so many, you know, the Invincibles and Sergio Aguero's last kick to win the league and Sir Alex Ferguson's send-off, and there's so many incredible, iconic Premier League moments, and just to be around them was, was, was incredible, but... Um, it's, it's quite a grounding. You know, Premier League football is the most high-profile sport in the UK and to be involved in that for so long um, was was amazing and, and challenging, but also gave me and everyone involved such a grounding for everything else that they went on to do. So it was terrific. I mean, you, literally, Monday Night Football, I mean, it's a huge investment for Sky. I mean, up, upwards of £5 million, and obviously in almost in every game just in rights alone I mean, it was you were there when it was a there was an evolution from you know the Andy Gray Richard Keyes era into the Jamie Carragher Gary Neville era that sort of changed the way that people analysed presented football and television how how did that evolution and yeah, dare I say that advance come about pretty organically to be honest I mean I think that people always talk about Gary Neville sort of redefining punditry and analysis um, when he came to Sky. I think that's true. He did. But I think the groundwork was done by Andy Gray. I think Andy Gray, you know, people, if you look back to early Sky Sports, 
mid nineties, obviously the technology was completely different and completely it almost almost looks prehistoric now, but at the time it was so advanced. But you know, what Andy was doing on that show in the nineties wasn't too dissimilar to what's happening now. It just looked very different. Um, and, and what Gary did, because he was fresh out of the game when he joined Sky, he had access to all the the data and the stats and the analysis tools that the clubs had and Manchester United had. So we're able to sort of integrate a lot of that into the technology. And I think that was the, the biggest thing, is having someone like Gary fresh out of the game um, to bring that insight to the viewer was what made the difference. Obviously, the technology had to keep up with him. We had to make sure that the technology could could illustrate the points he wanted to make. Um, and really, he changed the way we thought about analysis. It wasn't just about, you know, goals and points. And, and it was all about high-intensity runs and all those things that we'd never seen on screen before. Um, and Gary kind of opened up our eyes to what the Premier League clubs were doing in-house, and that, in effect, has bled through, I think, across to, I think, Match of the Day and all these other programmes who, I think, saw what Gary had done and realised we've, we've got to up this, because with everything someone leads the way and others are, I wouldn't say follow, but they certainly look at what he did and realise that there was a different way of doing it. I think people expect that now. I think people expect the pundits to be the most informed people in the conversation. Um, and I think that's now the standard. I don't think every pundit has to do the same thing because otherwise it would be very it would be very straight. There still needs to be room for big opinions and humour. But if the basis of that is sound analytical research, I think it gives everything a really good foundation. I mean, sports television is a mix of, of so many different things. I mean, it's, it's analysis, it's news... It's the technicalities of it all and, and obviously the entertainment value of it because you want people to, to, to tune in and enjoy the product. For you having had these experiences, how would you define what makes good sports TV? Personalities. Personalities. The technology is great. The technology adds. But the technology is no good if you haven't got the right people using it. Um, Gary Neville and Jimmy Carragher work because of their personalities. If you took the, all the equipment and all the technology away from Jamie and Gary, you could, you could put Jamie, Ga Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville in a garden shed and still have a good TV show. <laughs> you don't need the bells and whistles. They add. So the, the people is what makes it. Do you think that with, I mean, a broader sports, I mean, we, we look a lot towards America. Yeah, I obviously watch a lot of American sports coverage you know, following the NBA, etc. Do you think the states have been ahead of the game in a sense of that personality driven? Because you know, you you see the big personalities they have over there who paid very large sums of money to come on and pontificate, but it is a, it is much more personality driven than than here. 
do you think we're starting to evolve that and recognize that that's that's kind of where the, the conversation has moved yeah i think so i think so i mean i remember we used to spend sky used to send people out to these broadcast conferences every year or twice a year to look for the newest kit and the newest toys and the newest analysis tools and it quickly became apparent that people were looking at our tools to replicate rather than us looking to the Americans to replicate. I think it's all, it's a bit more level of a level playing field now. Every analysis tool, there's five or six different suppliers who are all offering similar things with different, different, um, different uses and different and tools within them. But um, I think the Americans realized perhaps before we did that if it's not the right people using it, it doesn't matter. Um, and every sports show, certainly here, the, the, the high-profile ones, they've all got their own um, analysis tools and, and toys. But the most successful ones, certainly in America, are the ones with the most popular and most outspoken pundits. So I wouldn't say we're catching up with them. I think we're, I think we're already there. But I definitely think that the personality of the pundit is what makes the headlines. Last summer, Bus 16 becoming involved with, with British basketball. Go, go back to first principles. How did that all come about? It came about by accident, really. I was, I, was on a, I was on a meeting with Paul Blake from the Newcastle Eagles. I don't even remember what the, the call was about. It was, a, it was an introduction through a, sort of a, a third party. And we just got chatting about the league and what was happening with it and where it was going. Obviously, at that point, there was no play. Nobody knew when it was going to restart. This is like April, May last year. And um, I asked Paul, you know, who had, where, where was it being shown? Who had the rights? Where was it going out? And it, pretty, it became pretty clear that there wasn't really a home for it. I know that the BBC were showing some games on the red button, but it wasn't a regular thing. And really, we, I said to Paul, look, can we have a chat about perhaps helping to get you back on, on telly? Um, obviously, with my Sky background, I thought there might be a chance they might be interested. And I thought there was an opportunity to, to take something that hadn't been seen for a while, certainly on, on mainstream TV, and try and reboot it in a way. Um, and I think given the, given the climate... I think the BBL were quite keen to try something. Um, and, you know, they were aware that if, if you can't have fans in the arenas, they wanted it to be as, as widely available as possible. So Paul introduced me to Kevin Routledge at Leicester uh, and a few conversations with him and Andy Webb, the BBL. And we sort of made a plan of how we could get it back on Sky. And thankfully, Sky were receptive. Um, but we knew the challenge was building up an audience that perhaps hadn't been there for a while. There is a core, a strong core fan base of the BBL. But outside of that, I think if you stopped 100 people in the street and said, name me a British basketball player, I think they'd struggle. <laughs> so that was the challenge, getting people to recognise that it was 
it was still there and it and it is good quality and there are personalities there and they have got a local team all these things were were kind of the, the driving force behind it getting people to to recognize what was on their doorstep because i don't think they had up until this point and there's still a long way to go don't get me wrong but i think we're sort of making the right noises the um uh, if I could call it a mission statement, I mean, what what was the brief when Sky agreed to to take this? What what was the brief from them as a channel and a broadcaster for this new product? To to grow it, simple, just to grow it. Um, Sky were always keen to support British sport, um, and I think that was the important thing that it was. A sport that had been underrepresented on screen, uh, and I think the fact that they had the NBA helped, um, or have the NBA helped because it can tie in nicely with the NBA coverage. And there's a lot of crossover, you know, people like Nick Nurse and Chris Finch now, uh, and Fab, who's recently was in Newcastle. So there's there's a lot of crossover with NBA and BBL, and I think that gives that gives the BBL a lot of credibility. Um, we had an interview with Nick Nurse on our first show, which Kieran Achara did, and Nick was just saying, I don't know if you saw it, mm-hmm. how much the BBL gave him the basis as a coach to go on and, and win the NBA championship. So I think from Sky's point of view, the NBA tie-in was big, but also Sky knew that if they could grow this, they see the potential. There's massive potential. Um, and our job was really to try and help them introduce people to the, to the personality, again, using the personalities. The sport will grow based on the personalities within it. And that is the players and the coaches. And so for us, the mission statement was to introduce people to these personalities. And that's what we've tried to do with the coverage, is to make it personality-driven. We don't want to come on week one of our BBL coverage and start doing analysis about plays and that, that'll come and that's important and that happens perhaps more during the game than in the build-up and you know in, in the weeks leading up to the game on social media all that is personality based so all the content that we try and create for the BBL is about the personalities because if you like people or even if you dislike people at least you have an emotional reaction to, to a game or to a sport so if you can make people like Gino Crandall, or dislike even, you have a feeling. At least you have a feeling. And if we can do that, which I think we are doing, um, then people will start to take interest. And I think also creating, you know, the guys that we speak to regularly, our team, Mike Tucks and Kieran's, people like that, they know every sport needs goodies and baddies, right? Whether that's, you know, people want, for example, um, people haven't necessarily chosen their teams yet. So, you know, if you watch a, a season of coverage of BBL, it's like when you're a kid and you pick your football team. <laughs> Often you haven't got a choice. But, you know, you look for the players you like or look for the, the manager you like or you, the, the kit you like. The, the hardcore BBL fans are there and they're very loyal and very knowledgeable. But we had to sort of take... We had to assume no prior knowledge from the wider audience and sort of take it back to basics. How useful is it to come in with that kind of clean slate? Because really, it hasn't been properly produced on television 
you know, in this kind of upscale production for, for a number of years. You, do you come in at it and you, I guess, look at other similar productions, maybe ESPN, maybe Turner? Do you, do you take things from Monday Night Football or whatever? I mean, how did you go about organically trying to draw this up, this blueprint from scratch? Um, a bit of research and trial and error, really. We knew that what we did on our first show probably wouldn't be what we ended up doing on our last show of the season. You know, trying things out, whether that's with different talent or different cameras or, you know, um, we've tried to mic up players during games, which has been great. Um, but we, we started from, let's get the right team. So let's make sure we've got a team that the British basketball fans will turn on week one and say, right, I get this. They've got, you know, we had Kieran, I think show, show one, we had Kieran, Rob Paternostro, Mike Tuck, Drew Lasker, Dan Routledge, Anthony Rowe. So your BBL hardcore say, right, I, these guys know what they're doing. These guys, as in the talent, not necessarily us, but the talent at least, that's a massive tick. So I think straight away, having those guys involved gave it credibility. And it was then down to us to build on that and prove that we respected the sport and we wouldn't patronise the hardcore fans, but also did it in a way that could introduce new fans and we didn't alienate new people by going too technical too early. With a live show like this, and obviously I've worked on many, many of these things, I mean, obviously people will turn on the television, they'll see Nat Boone's presenting it, they'll see the pundits, see the commentators. Give, give folks a flavour. What's the technicalities of putting together a live broadcast of this and all the things that have to go on behind the scenes? Ordinarily, is well, let me start that again. In the, in the current climate it's quite tricky because we're starting from scratch in a COVID world. Um, so your normal protocols of let's get the talent together. We'll have a big team meeting. We'll go for lunch. We'll have a rehearsal day. I hadn't met any of the talent before the first show, like in the flesh. Obviously we'd spoken on the phone. I met Nat Coombs for the first time face to face at 10 o'clock in the morning, the day of Newcastle versus London on our first show. So straight away, there's a challenge there, which is chemistry. I don't know. We don't know if Kieran and Nat would get on, on screen. We didn't know. I think, I think Dan Routledge and, and Anthony Rowe were an obvious, you know, they, 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 they worked together all the time. We knew that was a, a partnership that would work well on screen. That was kind of, that was the easy one. Mike Drew, Mike's done some some uh, punditry for Sky, done some NBA. Drew Lasker has his podcast. So we knew these guys could could talk and we knew that they were good. But when you put people together for the first time, you've got no idea what's going what's gonna to work and what's not going to work. And we had no opportunity to test that. So the biggest thing for us was trying to get people to work together and see if it did work. Because often you see a lot of TV partnerships and... and um, in the shows where the chemistry isn't right, whether it's, I don't know, Top Gear, for example. They do one show at Top Gear and they binned it because the, the chemistry wasn't right. That's not because Chris Evans wasn't a good presenter. 
or the guys weren't, it just didn't work. So that was the big challenge. The technical side is obviously, we've got some experts on that side. So, you know, you've got a director and Andy Finn, we've got a production manager and Amanda Pearson and Mick Briggs, the producer. We knew those guys, knew the sport. They knew how to put on a, on a, on a, on a TV show. Um, the facilities companies were great. So every, that side was done. We knew that would work. The challenge was getting the on-screen chemistry right. And it's still, I think we're only maybe 10 or 12 shows in. Um, and it's really starting to feel like these guys have been working together for a long time. Um, but you know what it's like in, 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 in television. Your best work is done away from the show. You know, so it's a, it is a lunch or it is a, a meeting. Um, and it's so hard. to Obviously, new, people are in Newcastle, Sheffield, London, Glasgow. So everything's being done live. And I mean that in terms of all the chemistry testing is happening in front of your eyes. So that's the challenge. And, but I think one thing we have got is a great group. Um, and everyone's so keen to, to learn, to help. Um, and the guys who are the basketball experts in the teams, you know, they're so willing to open up to us and give us insight. Um, but the, yeah, that, that's the biggest challenge, really. The, the technical side of it is, as you know, um, it either works or it doesn't. And there are certain things you have to do. On screen is, is always the hardest the hardest thing to get right. Do you think that helps? Because I, I remember the days when NBA and Sky Sports and Mick, your producer, was, was on the team then with me. And I remember what what I loved about doing the show was that you were given an input and your input was sought and you you know you were invited to to help try and make the, the show better and Kevin Cadle had a lot a lot of that role as well that we were all very active on it. Does it help when you're not shipping people in all they're doing is they're standing there for two hours and then they go away again but you're actually your people who are on screen are also useful and capable and active in trying to improve every aspect of this broadcast definitely definitely i think that's the thing where certainly kieran um kieran achara is the most involved day to day because like you know um mike and drew they still play basketball three times a week so it's very hard to to pin them down to do other things. Kieran's obviously recently recently retired. Um, yeah, and, and and everyone's willing to put in extra. Well, that's a you know Nat will speak to all the guys all week ahead of a, ahead of a show. So Nat, what Nat won't just turn up and read his stats and, and and crack on. He'll make sure that he has has the inside track on the teams recovering. Uh, and you only get that from guys that have played against these these teams and played with these teams. So, yeah, everyone's everyone buys into it, which is the main thing. And um, the teams themselves have actually been terrific in letting us in. We the first the first show we did a behind the scenes shoot with the London Lions and Vince gave us a lot of time. We followed him for the day and we saw them training and the schedule and how much goes into it and you know to have your doors opened to you like that from 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 Vince and from the Lions really sort of set the benchmark for us so we could say to you know we could say to Newcastle this is what we've done with the Lions can we come and do this with you and they see other teams opening up to us and 
and it's really helpful. I think if the, if the clubs and the teams don't embrace it, it's going to be a challenge. But I think they all see the value in it. Social media has been a really big thing for you. I mean, you know, it's not just about the TV broadcast on a, on a Friday evening. You're really going hard on, on the social channels as well. What's, what's the strategy behind that? I think it's just reaching a younger audience. Um, I think the data would suggest, I don't like talking about data when it comes to, to viewers, but we know the basketball audience or potential audience is a younger audience. The, the new fans to the sport will be on social media. And if we can get some of those fans who perhaps watch the NBA um, to come over to the BBL, then that's the future of that's the future of British basketball. It's getting these people who are on social media to to interact with the content, and that's why a lot of the, the social media content we produce is all personality driven. Obviously, we have plays of the week and that sort of thing, which is just great highlight reels. But you know, we do these features called the locker rooms, which are sort of under the skin of the players, and it's all it's daft things like if you were an animal, what would you be, and what's your favourite song. All this sort of stuff is so important because it gets you closer to the people not just how they play basketball but what are they like and I think that sort of stuff works on social media so well it's evergreen content people can go back to find it in six months time and it still be relevant so not just producing content that is a preview to a Friday night game so if you're doing London versus Leicester and you could go and do a big interview with you know Liggins or um, Gino Crandall just talking about that game what that game means in terms of the season that could be really good content for 24 hours but as soon as the game finishes that content's dead so you're not you're not going to go back in six months time and watch a preview for a game that's already happened but you will go back and watch a, a profile on a player that is an evergreen piece of content about his life his heroes his highs his lows his likes his dislikes so having things that work forever on social media is like really important for us in terms of the broadcast I mean understanding is about you know, ratings are about 30,000 per game which is you know a solid solid kind of performance for, for Sky what's in terms of the bigger portfolio of Sky I mean obviously you know it wants different audiences and different people and that's why you buy different rights to you know whether it's Sky Sports or Sky Atlantic or whatever but what's how does something like the BBL fit in this bigger picture for subscriber revenue for Sky? I, I can't really speak for Sky on the business side of it. Um, I just know that in terms of the portfolio, it fits very well because, for the reasons I said, they have the NBA. It's a British sport. They know that the, the, the desire is to grow it. That's why we're trying to work with Sky to get more games on the YouTube channel, for example, because the YouTube numbers often do very well. So I think, from their point of view, anything that brings in a younger audience, every, every sport is looking for the next audience. You know, the Premier League's no different. You need to get younger people invested in the sport because they'll be your fans for the next 20 years. Um, we're still figuring out perhaps how to do that. And I think there will, there is and has been a lot of trial and error with, for example, what channel do we go on? Do we put the game on YouTube? The BBL player is obviously a thing where the, the clubs want to push people to the player. So finding the right home, we know, we know Friday nights work. I think I think that's that's been proven. 
It's not often a football night. Um, obviously, in the last 12 months, nobody's going out, so that helps. Um, hell, it helps numbers. But I think, like I said about the programme, what we end up with will be nothing like what we started with. Um, but finding the right home for it and the right tone of it is something that we're still working on. I think we're, I think we're getting closer. But I wouldn't say we've nailed it yet. I mean, as you said, it's the first season and you've done some cool stuff yep. like micing up players, officials and, you know, I'm sure there's things you would love to do that can't quite be done because of, of COVID. I mean, you, you like me, I'm sure you watch different broadcasts and, you know, again, whether it's inside the NBA and from, from Turner or you know, ESPN stuff, you see what they do. What further avenues would you like to explore as you sort of head into season two of this? There's so much to be done. I mean, the good thing is that the clubs are on board. So, I mean, not many professional sports teams would allow you to make up their best player during a game because they might think it'll distract them. But I'm pretty sure, and this is maybe one for Kieran Achara, he said that every time we've had a mic on a player, they've performed well. And he, it could just be that they know that we're watching. Um, Gino Crandall being the obvious example, um, we mic'd him up for a Leicester game a few weeks ago and I think he I think it was his best points return of the season. I'll have to check that. But that sort of thing the players buy into that. And I think if the players buy into it, then who's to say the next thing is in we mic up more than one player on a team. And we have both coaches, two players and the ref. All these things are possible. The big challenge for us will be when fans come back into the arenas um, that will obviously improve the product tenfold with an atmosphere. I think we're all desperate for that to happen. But that will present challenges to us in terms of we've had the whole arena to ourselves, so we can put cameras wherever we want. We've got a, a track, tracking camera that runs along the, the side of the court. We won't be able to have that in some arenas now because there will be fans in. Um so we've almost got to start again, I think, in, in season two, which is a, a nice problem to have because, you know, we, we get our piece of paper and say, right, this is all the stuff that worked. This is all the stuff that didn't work. What do we keep? What do we try again? Let's speak to the clubs, find out what they want to do. Because I think the clubs have got some good ideas about how they can give us more. Um, but we know that we know the things that we want to keep doing. And really, like any sport, the closer you get to the team and the closer you get to the players, that's what people want to see. You've got another show within the Buzz portfolio, which I really love, which is Class of 92. And for those who haven't seen it, it's a sort of fly on the wall documentary involving the lower league football club Salford City. Brilliant watch if you haven't seen it. Gary Neville, who's also one of your business partners, is, is the major, or one of the, the stakeholders in, in Salford. And yeah, as a, as a concept, we've seen a lot of those kind of shows from the US. And we've started to see them a bit, and particularly at Amazon over the last few years with Sunderland, and, which was on Netflix, obviously, the Tottenham Hotspur documentaries, etc. But yeah, it's an idea that's been floated a little bit in terms of a book, going behind the scenes of a BBL club f- for the season. Mm-hmm. Is that something that would work, do you think, for television? Definitely. Definitely. I think the, thing, the challenge would be, well, the challenge right now is, again, it's, it's, it's restrictions. We can't get too close to anyone. Um, we're lucky that the 
the Salford City production team are in, are part of the Salford City bubble. Um, so that's a, that's quite a big commitment from the club to to, to allow us to, to enter that bubble. I think people would love to see that from the BBL. Whether that was one team, whether that was several teams. Because um, I, I think the, the thing that works with Salford City and Class 92 is, again, it's personality. It's seeing Gary Neville in a transfer meeting or seeing the, the manager at half-time um, digging out the team. I and mean, we're lucky that the first few weeks of this season, the caretaker manager was Paul Scholes. So when the next series airs in later this year, you know, Paul Scholes managing a football team, who doesn't want to see that? Um, so from the BBL, 100%, I think people would love to see it. Who, who would the team be? I don't know. What do you think? Oh, well, there's so many. I mean, you, t- you take London simply because there's more people. I guess to an extent plus a coach that has a very good personality I think would really work but yeah yeah, it's like anything I mean I'm a voracious reader of these kind of books which you often get so much in the states and I think it is that it's it's all about the personalities it's always about you know who's who's got an interesting backstory who's overcoming adversity you know the teams that have chemistry issues are often great as well so I think if you were ever picking it, you'd almost want to pick it at the start of the season and sort of look at it right across the league and say, where's the best story going to come out of this? That's the risk, isn't it? Or that's the, the gamble. Mm. Where's the story going to be? Um, certainly Lions this year. I mean, I felt for them during the European incident a few weeks ago with the having to withdraw from the European competition. I mean, that was, that was heartbreaking. Especially when you heard Vince the week before talking about it was the biggest week in the club's history, and then through no fault of their own, it was all taken away. Um, yeah, I think I think it'd be terrific, and I think the more we learn about the people, again back to personalities, the more we learn about these players, I think every club would have an interesting story. You know, different challenges. I mean, the Glasgow story right now is would be interesting to see. You know the, I mean the turnover of players as well as that makes it trickier in a way because you get to know people, and then before you know it, you're just starting to make some progress and they've gone. You know, Brian Brady in Manchester a few weeks ago, we we spoke to him a few times, um, and you thought, oh, this guy's great. He's going to be a really good character to follow, and people will get to like him. And the next thing you know, he's gone. Um, that's more of a league challenge than a. TV challenge but I think the personalities are there and I think it would be something that could again add a whole different dimension to the coverage and to the league to have that sort of access to a team 24-7 for a season I think people would like it I think people would like it I mean I think we all know that for the BBL and the the women's BBL as well to to grow there has to be that visibility and you, you go back to 2001 and the league took that to fabled now infamous decision to leave Sky and it sold its rights to NTL and thus on to ITV Sports which then collapsed and it killed the prominence of the BBL for, for almost a decade I mean you will, you've seen from the other side you know what Sky have done with those lengthy long-standing close relationships with you know, the Premier League with Darts with Rugby yeah. League even laterally with Netball from the other side of this from the BBL point of view and their perspective, what does it need to do? 
you've seen a little bit of this from the inside this year about how it works, but what does it need to do as a, as a entity to be better for a TV partner to enhance its own product and thus its reach and its long-term visibility, popularity, growth, etc. I think, without oversimplifying it, I think it's, it's a matter of patience. The reason that, and use the example of darts, darts has, was never a mainstream sport in the UK. It had its moments. You had the, the odd Jockey Wilson or whatever in the early days. Darts went on Sky and said, right, we're going to build something here. To the point where, you know, Phil Taylor wins his 15th world title. It's on the back page of the newspapers. Now, that's because they stuck with it. Longevity. Somewhere like Sky will build a sport if you stick with them. And I think when you look at where the BBL was in 2001, it was just on the cusp, I think. I mean, you were involved. I, I think it was on the cusp of, of, of a real breakthrough. Mm-hmm. And I think they got impatient. Um, imagine where the BBL would be now if it had never left Sky. I'm not saying this is all down to Sky, and I'm not saying that it could have moved on somewhere else and done well. But if you'd have stayed at, if it had stayed at Sky for the last 20 years, where do you think the BBL would be now? Oh, it could be huge because it, you know, it had a great slot. It was a you know, primetime Sunday night then primetime Saturday night, you know, there was great personalities involved in it. The, the crowds were big. Obviously, the ownership was big. And while it's not necessarily cause and effect, I don't think it was a coincidence that once it disappeared and went to ITV Sport, where no one watched it for its whatever long it was actually existing there, and then it kind of disappeared into the fringes, that that's when all the investment got pulled and then BBL pretty much collapsed. So that, I, think, I think we've answered the question it's a patience game. If you stay somewhere like Sky for the next five to ten years, I think it'll, I think the growth will be incredible. And with that will come sponsorship, will come bigger players, will come a more competitive league, which will bring perhaps more opportunity for the teams to do well in Europe. And it's just a, it becomes a, a you know a cycle. Um, the, the important thing is. And we've had this conversation with the BBL when we started the coverage in last year. Don't judge this in six months. Don't judge this in 12 months. You've got to judge this over a two-year period. And it's not just about the number of viewing figures. It will be the new fans, the stadiums, capacity. There will be new sponsorship. You will attract more big-name players or bigger American players, you know, Imagine if DeAndre Liggins is an example. If he stays at London for the next two years, you know he he'd be like a superstar of British basketball. Crandall, Fletcher, Liggins, these guys, and these are the people that I think the fans will attach themselves to, and that's what's going to grow it. And it's not necessarily about the slot. We're currently on Friday night. That could change. I'm not suggesting it will anytime soon, but that can change over the course of, you know, the next year or so. But having a, having a solid, stable home where people know, I will go to Sky Sports, I'll find out when the BBL is on, or I'll go to the social media account and I'll watch the clips of the week or whatever. Letting that grow organically 
is the, is the way to do it. I don't think it needs to be a quick fix. I don't think there will be a quick fix. There never is with, with, with the growth of a sport. But um, I think being settled, being settled will help. Finally, what else is in the pipeline for Bus 16? What have you got coming down the, the slate that we're going to see on television? We're working on a new series of Class 92, which will be coming out later this year. That's the, the Paul Scholes era. Short era, but it's a good era. Um, and really, we're just now developing our documentary slate, trying to get a few things up and running. We're looking to some more live sport, which is exciting. Um, but right now, I mean, the, we're almost in the playoffs. <laughs> so the BBL season, incredibly, is, I wouldn't say it's coming to an end, but we're, we're only a month or so away from the playoffs. So um, that's taking a lot of our attention because that's going to be, hopefully, an incredible ending. I mean, the way we, the way the results are going, I don't think anybody can predict what the playoffs will throw up. Um, if you just said three or four weeks ago, you probably said it's going to be a Newcastle, Leicester or London, two of those three in the final, perhaps. I don't know, don't know what's going to happen now. After the results last weekend, um, I think it could be incredible. That's what, you want te- that's what you want on television, unpredictability. Yes, absolutely. And I think we're, I think we're definitely getting that. Um, so, I think the playoffs are going to be really exciting. Um, I don't know about you, but you feel like London are going to make a late run. Just time it. Time it right. But, um, you never know. No. Who's your money on? I think my money's in London for the playoffs and Leicester for the title but I said that last week I could have revised it again today so who knows that's good good drama, good drama makes good television absolutely <laughs> absolutely anyway it's, it's been some great TV this season Scott well done on everything that you've done and continued success with that and thank you so much for joining us on the MVP cast thank you very much that's it for this edition brought to you with our sponsors at Total Environmental Compliance search them on Google or give them a follow on social media at T Compliance Limited you can get all our previous editions at mvp247.com where you can also sign up for the post up newsletter or if you want to reach out to me get me on Twitter at Mark Brittle. another edition of the MVP cast coming very soon but for me Mark Woods thanks so much for listening and it's goodbye for now <laughs>